Hi, this is Angie, host of the Nature Nurtured podcast. I have found that when I head outdoors with something on my mind and talk it out to the great wide world, spirit listens and often offers some pretty great advice. I invite you to join me today. We can move our bodies, soak in the amazingness of mama nature, and maybe even experience a little healing. My hope is that you take this conversation, find your own truths, remember who you are, and take that next leap on your own healing journey. Hello everyone, this is Angie, host of the Nature Nurtured podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today for another conversation. Today I am talking about impermanence and death. And so this is a trigger warning. If death is a hard topic for you right now, if you recently lost someone, if you are still in the stages of grief, I would probably recommend skipping this episode unless you think that it is something that you can handle. Um, so when I talk about death in this episode, it's really kind of towards the middle of the of the episode. I start out with impermanence and then move into death later. And when I talk about that topic, um, I kind of talk about where how we used to handle it historically. Um, I talk about the idea of having a death doula helping during transition. I talk about um, what the, what a death doula is, and I give um, a recommendation for uh, somebody that's on TikTok and Instagram that you can follow for more information. I talk about um, educating ourselves on the process of dying so that it doesn't seem so scary when it happens to us or our loved ones, and I also get into the afterlife and kind of what happens after we pass. And I, the information that I have comes from people who um, are mediums who are able to channel and talk to people who have already passed and also people who have had near-death experiences and have been able to come back and share. So there are a lot of resources that I list in the show notes today just because this, honestly, I mean, this is not something that I am super well-versed in. I know enough about it to talk about it, but when I talk about it, I'm coming from a place where I haven't experienced a lot of grief in my life. I've lost my grandparents. So, I mean, and that's that's it. And to lose grandparents, they were all in their, you know, mid-80s to early 90s, and it was just a natural transition of life at that point. So I have not had traumatic death experiences in my life. So I really did try to bring a sensitivity to this, but I do want you to know that I am not speaking from experience on this. I am not coming to you from a way that I have dealt with grief or uh, trauma in that way. This is just, I really talk about it to help bring some normalcy to talking about it. I mean, that's really my goal in this podcast in general. Um, But like I said, if that is not something you are comfortable with listening to today, um, yeah, I would go ahead and skip skip this week, skip this episode and and come back next week and see. I'm sure that topic will be one that will be better for you. So again, and I, 
I do, I really, really tried my best to, to bring as much sensitivity to this topic as possible while also not being afraid to talk about it. So I hope that, you know, if you're like me and you haven't experienced a lot of death in your life, um, you know, I, I hope the reason I talk about it is to take the fear away from myself. And I thought, well, if I'm nervous about it and have a little bit of fear around it, and I mean, that's a totally normal human reaction. I thought that, you know, if I could, if I could talk about it, then maybe that would help open up some things for other people to learn and understand around the topic and maybe bring some peace of mind as well. And, and, you know, I can, prepare and learn all I want in in the world. And when it comes to be where it's, I'm looking it in the face, I don't know how I will respond and react. This is just all kind of like, you know, if I can know as much as I can and kind of learn about the process and, and what happens afterwards. And of course, the afterwards part is speculation. You know, we don't know for sure until we go through it. So, um, but still, I mean, I think educating myself on this topic and not running away from it in fear will help me when it's my turn or when I am watching loved ones transition. So that's that's the point of today's t- um, topic. Um, oh, and also, please excuse the wind. I when I started this recording, it it was pretty calm. And then I, it picked up a little bit and I was not in a good place. I was kind of out in the open. And so, um, I couldn't really get to where there was some wind block. So I apologize for the wind noise. And I also apologize for the coughing, sneezing things that happen in this episode. They had cut hay up the road from us. And I think I was just having a little bit of a reaction to that when I was outside that morning. So I don't typically have seasonal allergies, but every once in a while, some for some reason, when I mow or when they cut hay or whatever in the area, I, I do get a little bit sensitive to that. So I thought I had covered the mic well. I did not. So I apologize in advance for the the coughing and sneezing. And I also, again, apologize for the wind. I do try to get out of that as best I can. Um, pretty soon I'll be able to go kind of back down to the woods where there's some wind block with the trees and it won't be such an issue. But in the summer months, I I am out more in the elements just because that's what's available. So anyway, I, I hope this episode is one that is helpful to you. And I, I hope that the resources I provide, if you're interested, I hope that they, you know, provide a, a way for you to continue learning and exploring this topic as well. So with that, let's go ahead and jump into it. Today, I want to talk about death and the afterlife and also this idea of impermanence. But before I dive in, I do want to just note that when I talk about death, the lens I am coming from is one that has not suffered major losses or anything that I would consider a traumatic loss in my life. I have lost my four grandparents, but they have they had lived nice full lives into their mid 80s and early 90s. I have both of my parents 
my extended family, my immediate family are all still here with me. So I have not experienced anything really significant or traumatic in terms of death and dying in my life. So that is my lens coming into this. And I hope as I share these things today that it doesn't come off as flippant or that I am not giving reverence to the topic. I very much am. My purpose for this episode really is to bring this awareness to how taboo death really is in our culture here in the United States and just in our current society that we live in. I don't know that it's always been as taboo as it is today. And when I say taboo, I just mean that we don't know what to do with it sometimes, how to handle it, what to say to people. We're not often prepared for how to handle it because nobody talks about it. And nobody talks about it because it's uncomfortable and it's sad. And we can feel that when we're around other people and we don't want to talk about things that make them feel sad and uncomfortable. So that's what I mean when I say taboo. So that's the point of this is to just kind of bring awareness to this idea of what if we became more comfortable with the idea. Yes, continued. Of course, every people are going to be sad and we're going to be reverent and we're going to miss people when they pass. But I think if we kind of explored what happens afterwards, other than I think we all, if you were brought up in the Christian religion, I mean, we understand that there is a place that we go called heaven that is a place for our soul to go and reunite with one loved ones who have passed and 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 that but to even jump into that even more and refer to it as people can call it heaven but there could also be i mean just the afterlife in general is what i would probably refer to it as i think there's a lot of different words for the same place or wherever whatever that where we go so that that's really that's really the point and again i i don't want to take this very reverent topic and make it sound like i'm being flippant with it but the point being just to i think we do need to talk about it i think the more we can talk about it in a productive way not to be insensitive and if we can even talk to little kids about it more and with this idea that it's not by forever, it's by for now and just really get real with them about what happens and when we die and to our bodies while we're in the process, I think it takes away the scary and just the finality of it all. So that's why. Okay, so before... I jump right to talking about death. I did want to kind of talk about, so why I'm even interested. So when I was a kid, even when I was little, like I was super intrigued by cemeteries and I've always kept that. Like I, for one thing, I think they're very peaceful places and I enjoy just walking around, looking at the tombstones, reading the dates pondering the person's life, especially looking at 
family plots and kind of, and I'm talking about like stones from over a hundred years ago. That's, that's where my interest is in like really trying to piece together what's going on. Of course, if you see a young woman and then an infant beside her, you, you can kind of understand her story. Um, you can see where disease swept through when several family members at a time were buried within a few days. And, and it's just, it's heart wrenching. It's heartbreaking to see those things. And I don't know. I just think by visiting and just seeing these headstones and taking a few minutes to pause and read the names and the dates, it's it's a way of honoring those who did pass and especially those who probably don't have anyone who comes to visit anymore. And so I I enjoy it from the history side of it all, but there is this sense of, hey, I see you. I remember you. Not that I knew you, but I I see your name and just kind of acknowledging that. Not that they haven't moved on and even probably care that I'm there, but I don't know. I just, I enjoy the historic vibe and lesson in taking a visit in the older parts of cemeteries. And I, I don't know, I always have. And I just think it's interesting too, to see the designs and just how the plots are set up or, you know, if there's a fence around them or if there's trees and flowers and if anybody seems to be still tending to the older ones. And sometimes it's also interesting to see what has been left, the coins, the flowers, the toys, the, and again, I'm talking about the ones who are a hundred plus years old, not, not the newer not the newer ones. So, but I've always just found cemeteries to be very peaceful. When I babysat for a family in high school, there was a little country cemetery up the road and we would go often. Their family took care of it. They mowed and, and maintained that, that little cemetery, but it just, I don't know. There was always just this I don't want to call it a home-like feeling because that sounds really weird, but it was very calm and it was just, I don't know, it just was very serene and kind of beautiful, especially the country cemeteries. That's really what I'm talking more about with my experience is it's it's just this this place away from everything else with usually wildflowers and green grass and and the occasional tree and I don't know it just feels to me it was always just fun to I don't fun is really not a great word I enjoyed going and the kids did too we would um ride bikes up there or walk up there and sometimes we'd bring a lunch and and you know and that's not so different than what people used to do a hundred plus years ago I mean they would take picnic lunches and almost do like a family reunion on Memorial Weekend or whatever in in the cemetery. So I think, you know, they're meant to be a place to sit and contemplate, probably more geared toward family who are visiting loved ones, not just people who are looking around like I am. But I don't know. I, I have always enjoyed visiting a cemetery. And I was always super accept, uh, obsessed with ghost stories I think I'd mentioned in my very first episode of this podcast that 
going to the library probably from, I don't know, like whenever I could read chapter books, whenever that was, and read them well. I mean, I was checking out fiction and nonfiction ghost books. I mean, I would start in the children's section and get like those preteen fiction books, but then I would also head upstairs to the adult section and get the nonfiction books, and I wanted to see the pictures, and I wanted to have the facts, and I mean, I would just pour over those, like, if there was anything on TV that I could watch, like the the old show sightings that used to be on, um, that was just like, yes, please, and so that was before we could watch so many different things, and now there's a lot of paranormal shows on TV, and and I don't know... I, my thinking on those has kind of evolved over the years. Like, I don't know. I don't really appreciate the ones that go in and taunt and just get their data and leave. I enjoy the ones that go in and they do a little bit of historical research and they, they try to make contact and then they try to help them move into the light. That's That's more my style of paranormal shows now. I really enjoy the show Kindred Spirits and I don't know what I cannot think of what that's on um because they're they're not their seasons seem to be kind of short and I haven't watched one in a while just because life's been busy and I don't know that they filmed during COVID so I don't know if they missed a season or I can't remember how that was handled but it's it's not one that's scary and I enjoy the history behind it that they present as well and then of course that they Either they will try to help the spirit move into the light or they have a medium come in and work with the spirit and see if they can get them to move in. But ultimately, of course, it's the free will of the spirit involved. But I do appreciate that show. I also enjoy listening to a podcast. Um, I think it's The Haunted Road. I'd have to look, but I'll have it in I'll have it in the notes. It's with Amy Bruni. She's on kindred spirits and she just gives um background history stories on haunted places and then talks about the happenings that go on there usually she interviews somebody who works there or helps maintain the property and maybe sometimes she's been there herself so um I don't know I think it's just a nice um cross for me between being a history buff and just interested in the afterlife it's just I really I really enjoy a nice story or paranormal show that is full of facts but also helpful to the spirit involved so um yeah so that's kind of that was me in a nutshell as a kid so there's always been this fascination I don't know that that was completely normal but you know and I don't I don't know that I talked about it so much with my friends when I was younger but I think as I got older I was like you know what this is me, whatever, take, take it or leave it. And of course, you know, that's what I still maintain today. So that's, that's kind of where I'm at with that. But I, and I always was very curious about the afterlife. And, you know, I, I do, did grow up in the church. I still attend church and I, I understand the concept of heaven and, and Jesus being there and, and that whole thing as well. But I, I just always felt like there was more to it than that. And I, I think, you know, and I've, I had the episode about my opinion on past lives and, and that always kind of 
was a part of my lens on the afterlife as well. So what I was hearing at church didn't always seem to be like the whole complete story to me. Even when I was little, I was always like, but like, that's it. We just get the one chance. What about like little kids? Like really God's going to say, okay, well all that prep work to get you into a human body and, and sorry, you know, you only got a year or you only had five years. I don't know. Like it just never seemed completely right to me. It never seemed, and and I never could understand, well, then like, what's the point? What's the point in getting into this human body one time? What are we supposed to get out of that? I mean, it just didn't seem fair to be like, okay, you get one chance. Oh, and there's free will. So we're kind of setting you up to fail and make sure you're good or you're going to go to hell. Like, I don't know that just, it never, it never felt like it resonated with me even when I was a little kid. And I always had so many questions and I never really asked them, but I always just was like, but why? And, but what if this? And so I don't know, that's where I, that's the lens that I come at it from. So that, and I still, I mean, that's, that's why I'm talking about this today. That's why I'm into the things that I'm into today. Because even from the time I was a little kid, I was, I had these little, um, weird quirks about, you know, cemeteries, ghost stories, and like, what really happens when we die? I feel like I'm only getting like one little minutia of the story. Okay. So Let's talk about impermanence before we get into to death. Um, because I think the way our view of death is shaped is by this, how we handle this idea of impermanence. And by impermanence, I mean that nothing is forever. I think humans, we, we do have this tendency to hang on to things and not want things to progress and change and cycle. Not everybody is as bad about it as others. Like I think there's varying degrees of hanging on to the old stuff. But we, we get really, really attached to our humanness. Um, these things that are here for us and that are the material things. The things that feel like they matter so, so much while we're here because it's so much very part of the human experience, we get really, really wrapped up in that almost to the point where I think on the day-to-day, we forget that like this is really so insignificant in the grand scheme of things. Not that we're insignificant and not that what we're doing here is insignificant. That's but we're the ex- this is one experience like even if you don't believe in reincarnation like our experience is one of billions you know and not it's so but we get so wrapped up is what i'm trying to say that there's such a bigger picture and we forget that at the end of the day really we're a soul having a human experience and None of this is forever. And ultimately, we're going to go back to the other side, back home. And just be a ball of light until we're ready to come back again, in in my opinion. So, I mean, we just, we do, we get so wrapped up in the 
the, just the daily things that, and, and we have to, to a point because we do have to survive. We have to feed and take care of shelter, clothe this human body and the little human bodies that we are raising. We have responsibilities here, but I think sometimes we take everything so, so seriously and it's, it's funny just to stop a minute and be like, this is really, really not that big of a deal. Like when, and I'm going to throw my oldest out for a minute. Like if the Chiefs lose a football game, like it is okay. And he knows that, but it's just like watching people in the moment, like in a ball game or like a high school ball game. We've all been in the gym during a high school basketball game and the amount of like yelling and horrible things that are like said to refs or the way that parents sometimes get after their kids on the court and it's just like oh my gosh we are getting really worked up about a game that in the grand scheme of things is not really that big of a deal anyway that's that's what I mean when we get attached to our human. And I, and it's normal. I mean, we all do it. That's part of being a human. We, we, we get attached to it. That's how we survive in the world. But I don't know. I think we could do better about remembering that this too is not, you know, so big of a deal. It's not lasting. It's if you believe in, you know, having lots of different life experiences. I mean, this is a drop in the bucket, really. And I just think in general, we have a hard time accepting the seasons of life. And I mean, the thing is, is like, it's programmed into us and then it's reinforced in us just by society's expectations. Um, The one that pops up in my head first is aging, Oh my goodness, especially with women, heaven forbid that women start to look old, like not okay. Like we, we, we do so many things cosmetically and that's okay. I mean, if that makes somebody feel good about themselves, that's fine. I don't have any, there's nothing wrong with it, but that the way it's marketed, that's what I don't like. And the way that it's pressured for like I say, especially for women to maintain this almost that maiden part of their life, because I don't know the um, if everybody's familiar, but the maiden mother crone cycle of a woman that maiden those maiden years before before she has children or like you know that kind of like you know, first coming into like after their first bleed until, you know, maybe into the early twenties, that would probably be that maiden time. And just this pressure to always look like that. And that's what's marketed. That's, that's what you see. I mean, actresses are not playing the, the correct, how old they are. They're not playing the age a lot of times of the character on the screen and man you get aged out in Hollywood really really fast if you're not careful there's just a difference to me in being healthy and maintaining your body and taking care of it like from a health perspective and also like I get that it's I don't care about these things but I do know that people do like 
wanting to just present themselves nicely. And of course, I mean, because that makes you feel good and it makes you feel good about yourself. It helps with your confidence going out into the world. And it just is kind of, I don't know, we have these human bodies. It's kind of fun to, you know, dress them up and make them look pretty. You know, I get that. And that's totally cool. So, but yeah, it's just this pressure of not getting old and not being able to come into those other phases and really embrace them and feeling like, I don't know, like the mother phase, like that is such that big chunk of time in the middle of our lives where we are raising children or we're in that time where we're really producing a lot, whether that's work or just creativity coming out and the things that we do for hobbies or we're caretaking for others in some way, shape or form. And maybe they're not our actual children. Maybe we have pets. Maybe we're taking care of people in our job or just our friends or whatever, but it is definitely this time of like being in full bloom. And like, I just think of creativity and production of some kind. And that is a beautiful phase to be honored as well. Sometimes I feel like people feel like once they turn into, you know, once they become a mom or once they get to that point in their life that they're just kind of, it's time to put us on a shelf, you know? And, and I think we're getting better in some ways in the society about this, but I don't know. I think there's always room to grow. And then the way we treat the older generation, I I just, that to me is really, really sad. Um, and I think it's because, you know, you don't have the way our family units are, are different now. People used to live in multi-generational homes. And so, man, that was so helpful, you know, as a mother with young children. And this is in the years where women did not go to work. And so they were home. And if you had five or six or seven kids, if you had grandma and grandpa that lived there too, they could kind of help hold the baby or entertain the toddler or whatever sometimes if they were able-bodied and capable. But even if they were, you know, their bodies weren't working great and they were in bed, but their minds were very much so there, you know, even sitting and reading with a child while mom was trying to do her day-to-day tasks, you had that. You had multiple generations, sometimes even like a great grandparent in the home as well. And that was the design of it. It was, if they're all under one roof there, it's not only financially supportive to everyone, but it's, it offered a lot of support in a lot of ways. And there was a lot of learning that happened between the generations that I just think we have lost. We really have. I mean, we don't often all live even close to each other anymore. I mean, the kids grow up and move away. And I mean, by move away, it's like states and states away. And it takes either days of driving or an airplane ticket to get together. And then that's just getting one person to come home. You know, I don't know. It's just, I think where I was getting with this was the older generation and in, you know, they call this stage, the crone stage for women. And that kind of has a bad, that word has kind of a a bad vibe with it, but really it's something to be honored. I mean, that's the, the wise woman. I mean, that, that older generation, they have so much lived experience 
and so much knowledge and wisdom. And I just feel like sometimes the way they share it, that it's, they have mellowed in their life where they're, they're not always, and this is like really putting a blanket statement on it, but it's not that they're being super pushy. They're just there if, you know, as a resource. And I think we so often, because the generation underneath, like, so you have the older, the elderly generation, and they need a little bit of care, and their children are still working, and their grandchildren aren't old enough to really be of help. I mean, or they're kind of on their own, like, in that college age where they're trying to get out into the world, not really established enough to help take care of a grandparent. So a lot of times they end up in a care facility. And I get it. It is necessary sometimes, especially if there's a lot of medical things going on, if there's dementia. I mean, there's there's a lot of health stuff. It is hard. And, and it is, people have to work longer now, it seems like. I mean, or this is, so these, the baby boomers that are getting older and kind of dipping into retirement or have been for a while now, they are kind of that first generation that where the women went to work, stayed at work, and they were working while their parents were getting to those elderly years. And they, for the first time, were not really available as a generation. They they were busy. They were busy at work. They were busy with their own grandchildren, you know, going to their, because kids are so busy, like they're chasing, you know, around going to ball games or or whatever activity to go watch. And then so then their parents, they don't really have time. They don't have time to take care of them. And sometimes it is scary. They have just enough going on where they don't want to leave them alone. But years and years ago, we would have just taken them in to live with us. And some people do that. Some people do, but they're still really busy. And sometimes I think it's really hard still. So my whole point with that was this idea that we need to stay in that maiden phase and stay young, look young, and not really honoring that time of being a mother and that time of being like the the wise elderly person. There's just so much value in all the phases and stages of life. It, it just is sad if we get fixated on the one. So that's one example of where humans have a hard time with this idea of impermanence. Another thing is that we we're so connected and I heard somebody else say this so this is not an original idea we're so connected by our phones and things like zoom that like if we do live away from somebody and that they were specifically talking about this was a a grandparent an an older I think he was probably like in his 80s grandpa talking to his kids and grandkids and they they were telling him bye after they'd been to visit and then they were like well we'll let you know when we're home or we'll call you you know tomorrow or whatever and then he was just he said and I cannot remember where I heard this but it really has it stuck with me I just cannot remember the source he was just like you guys just don't know how to do goodbyes. And if you can't do the little goodbyes, how are you going to do the big one? And I have never forgotten that. Like, he's right. Like, we are so connected and it's not a bad thing. I mean, I think, ask any of our ancestors, would they have loved to have had Zoom or even just a phone when they moved from one continent to another? Uh, Yeah, they would have jumped at that, 
rather than waiting for six months for a letter to get from point A to point B. And you maybe only, so you would basically hear from your loved ones one time a year by the time letters got back and forth. I mean, that got better as like the trains and all of that kind of took over. And then we had phones and stuff. But back a long time ago, when there was no, I mean, there was a bye was goodbye, you know, and I'm not saying that that was a good thing, but they were used to that. They were used to knowing that every goodbye could be kind of the last goodbye because they didn't have constant contact with each other. And we do. We have such constant contact with each other. And I just thought that was very interesting coming from that 80 something year old man and how wise that was. Like if we can't, if you can't do the little goodbyes, how are you going to do the big ones? So much wisdom. And that's what I mean. That generation, like lived experience. And I don't know if it's just sometimes from the time they grow up in, or if it's just having all of those years to like work out life and like what it is and what it means. I don't know, but that stuck with me. And I, and I think it's, it's, it's so very true. We, we do have a hard time with the little goodbyes. We don't, we don't have little goodbyes really. I mean, we're getting ready to kind of have a little goodbye with my oldest. And at the time this airs, he will have already gone to school. And he's only going to be 30 minutes away. But it's just this idea of that cycle of life has ended. Those first 18 years where he lived in our house under our pretty much direct care. I mean, as they get to be teenagers and can drive, they become more independent naturally and you don't see them as much. And honestly, I think that's a blessing. I think that's part of allowing them to practice, for them to practice those little goodbyes because we think it's hard on us, but I think they deal with it too. Some, and I think it's different. It's from a different lens, but so we're kind of practicing having that little goodbye, even though he's 30 minutes away, I could see him very easily. It's just, it's not the same. And just allowing that chapter in this book to close and know that the next chapter is going to be great too. It's going to be different, but it's going to be fine. And I am not saying this without a lot of tears being behind the idea of it all. I think it's just the nostalgia of childhood and remembering all all the things that happened in those 18 years and just knowing that it will be different now. But different doesn't it's not bad. It's not good, it's just different. So that's where I'm practicing that little goodbye. But we also see it in the way and all the generations are guilty of this. And I swore I would not be this way, but here I am. I mean, I say things like, well, back in the eighties, we didn't have da, 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 da. And it's like this feeling of we were, we did it this way and it was so much better. And I mean, and you know, my parents had the same stories of growing up in the fifties and sixties. I mean, it's just funny. Every generation thinks that their generation did it the best, but also had it the hardest. And it's really funny how we're like that. But, um, but yeah, it's just like we cling to those ways that we did things the, the way things are always done. Well, 
has, we have to do it this way because that's the way we've always done it. And it's funny that the younger generation, whoever they are in the grand scheme of life, they're the ones that are like, no, we don't have to do it that way because it's always been done that way. And they're the, they're the boat rockers and, and thank goodness for them. Right. We always kind of like, oh my gosh, how is this, how are these kids ever going to survive? They are always on their phones. They are always this and that and whatever and they don't know how to communicate and they don't and it's always all these bad things you know we look at the generation under us or two generations under us and we're just like how is this how are they going to function and they will they just have a different take on life and we'll watch it unfold and it may have some issues and they'll have to deal with it and that's just part of life and we can't we can't come in and save the day all the time and we have to understand that that different ideas aren't bad ideas, you know, they're just different and that it's okay. But I think we do, we all get kind of stuck in that nostalgia of, well, when I was a kid, I mean, I'm guilty of it. I do with my kids all the time. My kids are just like, mom, if I hear one more story about the eighties, like seriously, but because that's where our childhood happened. And if we had a childhood that was healthy and not marred with a lot of trauma. We, we do have, we're just like, Oh, that was such a great time in my life. And I just want my kids to experience that awesomeness. And we forget that they have their own experiences and their own awesomeness that they are experiencing. And they will probably say the same thing to their kids. So I don't know. It's just funny, but it's, it's a, it's another resistance to this impermanence, this idea that things can, that can, they can change and evolve and our, the old way isn't always the best way. Yeah. I think it just, I, and I think the world is really, really needing to take a good look at that right now with a lot of things and not to get into like a lot of like hot button political topics, but our environment is one of them and just how we take care of each other is another, I don't know. It's just, and, and our medical system, I mean, our healthcare, it's just, there are so many things. It's like, I don't really think that the old ways are working great. So how about we give this younger generation a chance to talk and, and share their ideas. And then with the wisdom of lived experience, we can somehow work together and find some balance. I think there's a lot of old, I don't even know, old, I don't know, I would like to see the breakdown, like the demographics of the people who make the laws in this country. It just seems like there's a lot of older white men who make a lot of decisions and, and they have for a really long time, but that's, that's a whole other topic for another, another day. But, and I don't want to rag on, on that demographic necessarily, but a lot of times that's, that's the group that's like, but this is the way we've always done it and this works and why are we going to change it? And this is what's making, this is benefiting me. And so I don't want to hear something else. I don't know. I think, I think the younger ones are more of a global society and they have, they have some big ideas and I think it's important to listen to them. And also, like I said, help, help them find balance with some, some wisdom and lived experience, but not completely shut it out. So I don't know where exactly I was going 
with that, but I think just this idea of everything having to be the same. I don't know. And even something so silly, and this is just kind of coming to my head, so I'll share it, but something so silly as like year round sports for like one, like playing basketball all year round, playing baseball and softball all year round. And when I say all year round, yeah, obviously you can't, some of those things are outside. So there is a small break in the winter time, but there's, instead of playing ball for a couple of months or a month or six weeks or whatever in the summer, it has definitely become more all year round. And maybe in warmer climates, they do play all 12 months of the year, but I don't know. And, and here's, here's my beef with that. It's like, I get it when our kid really loves a sport we want, and they're really good at it and we want them to get all the practice that they can and whatever for what, but then it's like, but why, what's the end game? I mean, there's a difference between a kid loving a sport and like having pickup games with their friends on their own with zero adults around applying their pressure and stress to the situation that's different. If a kid plays street ball or goes and they get a team together and they go down to the ball fields and they play ball on their own and they, the kids are completely in charge and they're the ones just playing these pickup games that are just for fun and they do that all year round. That is not what I'm talking about. That's healthy. That's awesome. I mean, I, I was a runner through high school and I did not play a winter sport. I just would run. I did run all year round, but nobody was telling me to. I was not competing all year round. I was only competing in season. And it was just because that was my choice. So I don't know. It's, it's just, it's like we can't let that, that sport stay in that season anymore. It's like we can't let it die. We can't let it have its chance to cycle through and like do, and sports are such a like, who really cares? Like in the grand scheme of life, like it's a game, like it doesn't matter. So I don't, but this, it just came to me that like, like we're, we're showing this to kids right now. Like there's not a start and stop sometimes it's just all the time. And if they really love it and they're asking to do it, it's, it's different and maybe that's the case most of the time. I don't know. I just, I worry a little bit about kids and like the pressure of constantly having to compete and perform um, and not having that cycle of having a break or doing something different for a little bit because I think they, they need to experience, okay, well, this season's done and kind of mourn that a little bit. Like, that was really fun. I had a great time and now we're done. Instead, it's just like constantly. And a lot of times it's the same team and it's the same kids and they never have to just be like, that was cool for this year. And then like work with a new group of kids the next time. Like, and part of that's just being in a small town. I mean, there's not, there's only so many kids in an age group. So whatever, that's like a, a side note there, but just this, we're, we're, we're not showing kids how to handle impermanence very well when we're letting them kind of indulge all the time on the same thing and not have an ending point where it's just like, okay, well that's done. And that was really fun. And, and I know that there, there are 
Like, I, I get that, yes, the season does have to end at some point. There's just not very much time between the end of that one and the next one to where they can go, like, a whole year before it's time to start up again, or almost a year, nine months, whatever, where they, they kind of get to miss it for a little bit. I guess that was the point. Like, we don't, if we're not allowing ourselves to stop something long enough to miss it for a little bit before we start again, and we're constantly feeding that same thing to ourselves all the time, whether it's with ourselves or with our kids, if we're not letting ourselves miss it, then that's, we're missing an opportunity to practice this idea that things end and that it's okay to miss it. Because that's part of this whole death topic is learning to be okay with the absence of something or someone you love. And there's all these ways we can practice this. And, and several generations back, they did all the time. It was just part of their life, part of their day. Just, it was just how it was. They had so many opportunities all the time to practice this idea of impermanence. And I think modern society definitely limits that. So that brings us to the actual topic of death. And, you know, thinking about death and what that was like, even, I want to say, probably more than a century ago. So like, prior to the night, like maybe early 1900s and before, I guess you would say. Depending on, I mean, like maybe rural places on into the 30s. And, and some cultures, I mean, I suppose, anyway, I'm rambling. Let me, let me get onto the topic. But thinking about this, how we view death. And not that long ago, I mean, like I said, like 100 plus years ago. But I mean, that really isn't, you know, that long ago. Like our great-grandparents maybe could recall some things with this. People passed at home a lot more often than now. Um, Some people do purposely choose to, like if they're on hospice, they want to come home and and transition at home. And they get to choose to do that. Um, But if you have an illness or whatever and you're not and you're needing that hospital support that's different or you just choose to be in the hospital setting a lot of people do pass in that hospital setting where people used to just there wasn't the availability in the of hospitals we didn't have i mean you had the traveling doctor that came from house to house there was not a place where people just went unless you lived in like a big city there maybe was but in the rural areas there was not such a thing and so people took care and you also had the women in the family were working at home and so they kind of took on that role of caregiver if somebody was sick whether it was um, a child or a just any, any age of adult, they were, you know, there was somebody at home to do the caregiving. So, and there was not that hospital availability. And so, and the modern medicine, I mean, what were they going to do anyway? A lot of times, I mean, if this was 
before penicillin, if this was before major pain medications and complicated surgeries that could save people, you were left with to just be cared for at home. And so a lot of people passed at home. I mean, most people passed at home. And so the family was around. I mean, you had this person bedridden, being taken care of by the people in the household. It didn't always have to be the the woman in charge, like the mom. You know, it could be the kids helping too. It could be the the husband or the dad, the, the younger male in the family helping as well, just depending on what needed to be done. So it was more in their face. You know, people, people saw the process of dying from either old age or illness. And I'm not saying that they liked it. I'm not saying that it was easy, but it was in their face. They saw it. And little kids saw it. I don't know that they were protected from it. They maybe had to help bring something to the person that was dying or the elderly person as they aged. They they got to be in on it. They weren't necessarily protected from it. Um, they got to see people... So after, after the person transitioned and, and then there's just the body... The the women typically cared for the body. They washed it. They dressed it for the burial. And that was such a very intimate, loving, kind of last act. And in that act of caring for that person in that way, that was a goodbye. That was not hurried This was, this preparing this body for burial was very ritualistic and it was very much this opportunity to be faced, I mean, like with this lifeless form that once held the soul of that loved one and they could see very plainly and clearly that it was just a shell now. I mean, it, they, they cared for this body in such an intimate way. They could tell, they understood that it was lifeless they understood that that person was not there anymore and they they it allowed them to begin to grieve earlier i think and deeper but in a way that they were doing something for this person they were going through this ritual of preparing them for burial and then a lot of times the body was laid out in the house depending on your religion I mean, you maybe had a wake or you had a sitting in, whatever they called it. I mean, I think there's different terms for different religions, but you didn't always bury them right away. And so then there were people that, you know, there was a constant stream of people that came to the house and to pay their respects, their condolences to the family. And we do have those rituals today as well. But I think just having that body in the home, I mean, I I feel like people had a very sufficient time to come to terms with the death as as the dying process was happening if it wasn't an accident and then the process of caring for the body again was like okay they're not here and like I said not that they weren't sad and not that they weren't feeling that separation from that person but I think it was almost offered like a therapeutic 
uniqueness, if that's a word, to the situation. When they were able to care for the person very intimately, prepare their bodies, have them in their home, and then lay them to rest. You know, not not super long after because a body can only stay um, above ground so long after after they have passed, especially when there wasn't like embalming happening in those days. So they, they did need to get the body in the ground. But, and, and that perspective is just like, when I think of that, it's like the white pioneer thing happening. Other cultures, other places in the world, the native people, they all had their own death rituals and the way they cared for the elderly and the dying. So this is just the lens of like, what I know of like what my ancestors probably did. So this is a very little minute version of what happens everywhere in the world. But this is what I knew to share. So just looking at it from that, it's like they kind of, not that it was easier, but in a way they had the advantage because it just, there was some that ritual allowed almost some therapy for them, I think. So, I mean, I don't know. Today, it's just different with the modern medicine and people live longer. And and also there's not, and thank goodness for this. I mean, I'm not saying that I want to go back to to the days when we didn't have the the, the modern medicines. And the, man, I think about the moms that would lose like half of their children they didn't make it to adulthood you know if when you look at a census record and you see they had 11 and only five or six lived or maybe only like one or two it just kind of depends on what was happening but you know infant mortality was high in the U.S. a hundred plus years ago and I think children witnessed that they they knew that mom was having a baby and they knew that the baby didn't live or maybe mom didn't live through the childbirth either I think and because there wasn't the you know there was disease and there people just didn't have the life expectancy that that we have today so I mean I think even from the time kids were little it just not that death was like Oh, well, but it was definitely something they had to learn to deal with young. And I don't know how much it was like talked about like in a formal way. I think it was more of an experiencing and observing how others were handling it. And I think it just wasn't, it wasn't like not like, oh, we don't talk about that. Or, oh, like whisk the children away and protect people from it. I think it was like this is what it is. We're not going to have like a, a, a fuzzy conversation about it, but this is, this is the reality. It wasn't sugarcoated at all. I don't know. I just, I think that's, I think that's why we don't have, so we don't have that experience today. It's different. I mean, some people may have something that sort of looks like that, but on, on the average, the average person, we, that's not how we experience death anymore. 
a lot of times, I mean, if somebody passes at home, you, it, it kind of is like, oh my gosh, and you don't know what to do. And, and maybe people do take a minute and then you, you do have to wait for the ambulance or whoever to come and get the body. But, um, I don't know. I just feel like it's hard to get closure because I think, I mean, because the body is whisked away and then you, you don't see that body again sometimes. I mean, especially if there's cremation, you do not. And then if, you know, by the time, if the funeral home does deal with the body, it's, it, the person does not look as you remember them so much. I mean, sometimes they do a really, really good job, but I don't know. You didn't get to really be in that process. And so it's like, it's kind of like takes your breath away, I think, because you didn't, you didn't see the process from A to B. You only saw the last moment and then however many days later at the viewing for the family or whatever. And it's just like, (gasps) like that does, that's, I think it's a shock. I think it can be a shock to the system. Whereas, you know, a long time ago, people kind of, it was a slow process of being able to be with that body. So I don't know. And I think just death isn't as common in general. Thank goodness with the children. I mean, I don't know how moms and dads and the siblings, there was just so much with disease and just childbirth and then farming accidents or whatever was going on. I mean, kids just moms had a lot of kids and they were busy trying to take care of things and they could not keep an eye on everybody all at once and so kids would be kids and things would happen and and that was just more common and childhood disease and it just people had to deal with it a lot more often than what thankfully what we do today so that's another part I think that plays into the taboo-ness of it I don't know I mean here, here's a story I always think about, and this is, it is a very sad story, and there's a cemetery that I have visited, and I know the story behind the family that I'm going to talk about, because I do believe it was in a newspaper, in a local newspaper, and then my, my sister had known the story and shared it with me, and then we went and it was near her home, and so we went and visited, but anyway, so diphtheria had been running like wildfire through the community and there was this family and I believe there was I don't know if there's 12 kids or if the 12 included the parents I don't know if there was 10 kids and two parents but 12 is the number that sticks with me um I I believe it was a family of 12 and so you can see the family plot there all of the children, except one, except one, passed away from diphtheria during that outbreak. So within a few days, a few weeks, a few months of each other, one by one by one, some of them are, I think, even together because it was the same day or within a day or two. Some it was spread out a little bit more. But, I mean, we're talking kids from, like, toddlers. I don't think there was an infant up to 20s, up into the 20s, gone from a family. And the one girl that survived, and maybe this is where I'm getting the 12, what she, I think, was 12. 
during all of that, I mean, we kind of did the math and she lived to be old. Like I want to say upper eighties, nineties. I mean, she, she lived a long full life after that, but it was just her and her parents. The parents survived. And I just cannot imagine like as a mom, I'm thinking with a big family, you know, you probably had like this big table and like, and family dinners had to been like this beautiful chaos you know, and just all of those people in and out of the home and all the personalities and all just everything, getting the kids off to school and having them come home for the day and all the stories and all, all the life that was in that home and how it just went from that to just, wow, it had to have been quiet with just the one. And like, how did she deal? Like, what was, was there survivor's guilt for her? you know, and the same with the parents. I mean, how, and that she lived to be, I mean, that she lived such a a long, full life. And then to be buried, you know, there with the siblings that left this earth decades and decades before she did. And like, what was that like for her? I wonder. I mean, it sounds like she was kind of in the middle of the pack. She had youngers, you know, younger siblings and she had the older siblings. And, and I don't know. I mean, like, God, life can change on a dime, you know? And I think that's an extreme example of that. I mean, we have those examples today too. It's just, dang, you know, things can change so fast. I just think back then, not that they, I don't want to say that they were used to it, but it was definitely more commonplace to have those kinds of events happen or you knew I think people understood the fragility of life like I think parents understood yeah we're pregnant we're gonna I don't know if this baby will make it through the birth yeah okay the baby made it through the birth I don't know if they're gonna make it through the first year and I think or till they're five or whatever I think I'm going to guess there was probably a little bit of a detachment with children in a way it's like they love them and they took care of them but I think if they'd suffered loss of any kind and I think either they I think most people had in some way whether they experienced it as a child or as a parent I think loss was prevalent enough to know that yeah you love people but I think also there was this preparedness not that they could ever be prepared but this detachment almost that came with the people in your life. Like, don't get too attached because you don't know how this is going to turn out. I don't know. And I, I don't think that would ever be their words. And I don't know that was a conscious thing. But I think it was a little bit of human nature, especially when they were kids because it hurts so bad. I mean, it hurts to lose somebody. And I think over time, you know, until, you know, we just don't have to deal with that as often. Thank goodness today. People do. There are circumstances, obviously, but it's, I think then every family in the community experienced something, you know, every couple of years. I mean, it was, it was all the time. So I don't, I don't know. I just, I feel like it's a blessing and a curse to not 
be around death. So hopping into this educating so that it, I think death is always difficult, but being able to move through it. And I talk about this for my own self, because I know that just because I haven't had anything traumatic head my way doesn't mean that I won't. And not that I'm inviting it in. But like, I think about these things for my own mental health. And I know I cannot prepare myself for it. But I just think if I can have resources and have a little bit of education and understanding about the process of dying and just kind of try to explore for myself, not that I'll ever know what happens really until it's my turn to go, but just being open about what happens. I think that is kind of like, I hope it's setting the stage to make things I don't want to say easier, but maybe a little bit more bearable. And that's why I think about all of this. But, and thankfully there are other people who, who also kind of take this upon themselves. And there, so there is a late, there's a person, um, she is, she calls herself hospice nurse, Julie. She's on Instagram and on TikTok, and she really does a nice job and this is from the hospice view, but she, she really does a nice job normalizing the process of dying and in a way that's not, I don't know, abrasive, I guess you would say. I, I would say that if there could be anything comforting on this topic, I mean, I would think that she brings some comfort and how she educates people that she doesn't directly work with. I mean, she is a hospice nurse, so she's working with families directly every day. But when she can make these videos, she's also reaching a broader audience who maybe doesn't have access to the information that she sees every single day. And so the things that she can offer, those nuggets of things that she sees on the daily that are very normal in her life. But like if you haven't been around death and dying, it might freak you out. And I just think the thing, her content is really, really good. And I, if, if nothing else from this podcast episode, check her out. Hospice Nurse Julie, I will have her name in the show notes, but she is on Instagram and TikTok. So, and she, she talks about like what happens to the body, but she also ta- like, and I think this is something that she, she talks about, but I think a lot of nurses also could tell stories about is so let's just, I guess, hop into to some of the things that are somewhat mainstream about what happens during that dying process. I, I do believe that people do start to talk about their loved ones because they see them. I think they're being visited by their loved ones. Um, I, there's varying idea of when that happens, but most commonly it looks like it's about a month prior ish they will start to see them and talk about them and and we of course nobody else can see them and and I think a lot of times that just got kind of poo-pooed away but it's it's happens enough where people take notice of like I think that's actually a thing 
that they'll start to see to see their loved ones. And I think that's a comforting thing. It may it maybe is a little bit distressing at the when they first start to do it, but I think those loved ones are coming through as support and comfort. So, and another thing that I have gathered through my education in the energy world, the chakra system, something that I understand to be true is that as people are dying and the physical things are happening, also the energetic field is changing as well. And what's happening is the, the root system starts to dissolve and then from there up up the body that those energy centers start to dissipate until you get up into those upper those upper um, energy centers the earthly ones dissolve and so you're just kind of left with the, the spiritual centers and that is kind of what is left and it, interestingly it's it's um, the opposite when when newborns come into this world their spiritual centers are very much there and it's those earthly ones that are the last ones to develop and kind of to kind of take hold and sometimes this uh, from what i've heard um infants are a little hesitant they don't want to be it's it's they recognize even this little baby soul you know their their soul recognizes that in this little baby body like, oh my gosh, this earth body's hard. Like, I, I can't control it. Um, it's like, oh gosh, I, I forgot that this is so hard to start out in a brand new body and not be able to care for myself and not be able to have full control over this shell that I am in, this human suit. And so you get those really um, colicky babies. And not to say that that's the reason for all colic but the ones that cry a lot are just I think sometimes like oh my gosh it's so hard to be in this human body I forgot <clears throat> excuse me and so I think that they yeah they they are resistant to those um, lower chakras forming because they're like I don't know if I really want to do this this is really hard so it's funny those are the last to develop and they're the first to dissolve which I guess kind of makes sense. So anyway, I don't have a lot else like physically on what happens during the process of dying because I think there's better resources than me out there. And like I said, hospice nurse Julie is a wonderful resource. I will let her kind of explain those things. And she puts out, it seems like she puts out several, like a couple videos a day sometimes. So um, she's super knowledgeable and she just is super relatable and I don't know. I really enjoy her. So anyway, I will let her take it from there. But also one other thing I wanted to talk about, I guess, before I move on to the afterlife part is there is a thing called a death doula. And so I think most people know what a a doula is like for when you're having a baby and they are there to help the mother through the labor. They're not the nurse, but they're this, they're just there to provide comfort for the mom and support for the mom during the process of the birth. And then sometimes you can have them come into your home after you give birth. And they're there to, again, support the mom, help them with the supplements and the herbs and the teas and the healthy meals and holding the baby and helping with the breastfeeding and all of that. It's kind of like, 
having that wise older woman in the home to help you, which is so, so valuable in such a crazy transition in life. I mean, birth is, whoa. I've always heard that actually birth is like a way more traumatic experience for the soul than, than the dying is. Now for the people left here, I mean, for the people here, it's opposite. I mean, birth is so exciting and the, the death part is so sad, but for the actual soul experiencing it, supposedly that is flipped. And it's really hard to incarnate and be back in human form after being a little light body. And it's super nice to just transition right on out. My body's old and tired or sick or hurt or whatever. I'm seeing loved ones. I'm starting to kind of feel the dissipating of my energy in my lower energy centers. Peace out, you know, especially when they're older, especially, you know, when, when they have an older, tired, sick body, that would be the case. Not that there's not fight sometimes, but I think they fight for the loved ones who are here and who are sad. I think the soul itself is ready to go. I think they just know the repercussions of their leaving on the people who are left here to mourn. So anyway, um, yeah, so a death doula, you can have someone and it's different than a hospice nurse. This is just somebody that you can have come in and just help you through the process of dying. Now, of course, this is if you know that you are dying and so this would not work for like an accident or something tragic like that. This would be more like if you, maybe you have a terminal illness and you are not older and it is, you don't maybe feel like you're ready to go. I think that a death doula, and I think it can be used for the older people who are ready to go too, but I think the death doula just comes in and works with you and, and maybe even works with your family and provides this almost therapy, but also is just with you during the time where it's, where you are transitioning and just, and I think, you know, when you're more capable and you can talk about what you want, I think that is, there's a plan. And I think also they just know, they just know how to support and comfort people during that time. So I think what a beautiful gift to give somebody is just having the transition be as smooth as possible. Not that it's ever easy for the, and I always say it for the people left, but if it is a situation where you just really are like, it's not, it's not my time kind of a thing. Um, I think it's, it's nice to have that that support to help with the surrender to the inevitable. And again, I am speaking not from experience in this at all. And I do not mean to be flippant or romanticize this at all. Death is tough for humans. We have a really hard time with it. And that's why I'm talking about it. It's like, I am not meaning to make this sound like a fairy tale. I, I'm just offering that this is a thing. This death doula thing is a thing. And and these people, these people who do this for a job, I mean, what beautiful souls 
because man, we think that we have a hard day at work sometimes and the things that we do and nurses absolutely do. So, I mean, of course, um, not downplaying jobs that are hard, but wow, to, to be a death doula into every day, that's what you do. I mean, you ha- it takes a certain person that is super comfortable with the idea of death and dying. I think how beautiful that some people are. What a gift that some people can offer that support and comfort to others. Okay, so moving on to the afterlife. What happens after we die? Of course, I don't know the answer to this. Nobody really knows the answer to this. All we can gather is from people who either can channel like they're a medium and they can talk to people who have crossed over or they have had a near-death experience and experienced some of these things for themselves and then come back and continue to live this human life and can share what they experienced. Those are the two ways that we know how this goes outside of what religion teaches you. This, these are our sources, people who have had near-death experiences and people who can channel people who have crossed over, so mediums. That, that's where this information comes from. And from what I have gathered and the many sources that I have taken in through years and years is, is this. And I'll start with kind of right away after, after the soul leaves the body. It is thought that we do hang out for a little bit and we're able to see our body. We understand that we've left it. We can see what's happening around us our loved ones, and the process of, I think most, I get the idea that we stay around and we see the process because I I just listened to an episode where somebody talked about, and I will actually have this in the show notes too, um, and where she talks about this, you'll get to hear it, that we see what's going on and sometimes it's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they can't find my computer password or my bank account information. Or like we get really kind of not, we don't get stressed because we're not humans anymore. So we don't have those human reactions to things, but our soul is like, oh, I really should have had things laid out a little bit better. Like I should have let people know my passwords. I should have had my things in order a little bit easier because we kind of have to watch people fumble around is what this person talks about. And she's a medium and that's what she gets from people who have crossed over is that, um, that that happens. So I think, you know, we hang around and that is also in agreement with, um, this lady, her name is Mary Ann Winkowski, Winkowski, I think is how you say her last name. And she has a book, When Ghosts Speak, and I will have that in the show notes as well. And she is interviewed on a podcast that I listened to, and that's, I listened to that first, and then I bought her book. Um, so I will link, or I, I'm not going to link, I can't, I don't know how to link the things, but I will have them in the show notes so that you can, you can find the podcast episode I listened to. And if you want to check out her book, you can do that as well. I just found her take on it was similar. She talks about how people hang around throughout the time um, of the funeral services. They are at their service. Uh, They usually are kind of near their body and they can kind of watch 
the comings and goings and, and how the funeral goes. And then she says that you have three days where you can access going through the light. Three days after your last service. So let's say that you don't have a service for a year until a year after you pass there you have that full year and then the three days after the service is what she that's what she says is that there is a light available for you to go through at your convenience for three days and that it kind of gets dim you know as the time goes on but it is still there and that you need to get into that light in that time or else the light goes away now echo bodine says no you don't have a window of time you always have the light available to you. So there's some conflicting information among uh, among these two women and both are very intuitive. I believe both are mediums. Um, and I know Marianne Winkowski, she could see all of this happening from the time she was a little girl. It's a very interesting read. This woman had a very interesting life. Um, her grandmother kind of had the same abilities, but Marianne's were even more heightened and her grandma would take her to funerals from the time that she was four and they would she would help and she has helped spirits cross over her whole life that's what she does you can call her she can do it remotely but she will also do home visits and it's so funny she does not I don't think she has a cell phone she has like a home phone with an answering machine and she just takes the messages puts puts you on a list on a, I mean she's old school man puts you on a pencil paper list and then she gets to you of course if there's emergency situations she hits those first but she gets to you when she can if you've got something going on in your house she'll come and help cross cross over what it is and sometimes they don't want to go and that's but anyway her take on the whole thing is if you're here after your three-day time limit has passed for your light that if you go to a funeral home or you go to a a church service, like if you, if the spirit can go to another person's funeral or whatever, there's, they can, you, you can use somebody else's light because it's not a specific light for that person. It's just the light. So you can hop in, but then supposedly this Marianne lady can also make the light happen. So I don't know. It's an interesting read. She explains it much better than I do. So I just, if you're curious about her take and her story, um, I gave you a little brief synopsis, but it's it's an interesting read. It was one that I really kind of plowed through. And, you know, you always have to take what people say with a grain of salt because we can't prove or disprove her experiences. So I just find it interesting. And then, yeah, like I said, Echo Bodine has her own take on what happens. And she has a book also, something about, let's see, and I have not read hers yet. It is on my list. How to have a something about a hap, happily ever afterlife. And then she has been on a podcast talking about that book as well. So I will have all of that in the show notes. And from what I gather from multiple sources is these earthbound spirits, probably what we would think of as ghosts, they're the ones that they they don't take advantage of going to the light and they for a lot of reasons um the most common would be that they are scared of judgment on the other side like maybe they've done something bad and maybe something that they think is bad but really isn't that big of a deal um 
you know, but they don't, they're just, they're scared of what awaits them on the other side, um, due to their behavior. Others maybe were waiting on loved ones to pass. And then maybe they didn't know that all of their loved ones have passed. So here they are, you know, 200 years later, still hanging around. And I just, I don't quite understand that. And I also don't quite understand the idea of child spirits because I would think that where are our guides? Where is our spirit team in all of this? And why are they not helping us cross over? And especially with little kids, I don't understand why any of them stay. Um, From what Marianne talks about in her book is that they are scared they're going to be in trouble for something. And and so that's, she has an example of a little boy that she talked to. And that was his reasoning. Um, I believe there'd been like a house fire or something that he had been a part of and that he was thought he was going to be in big trouble. Um, but I just, am like, where were his, like, why, where are the guides and why are they not helping us get into the light? I don't understand why anybody has the, the reason or the opportunity to get stuck. But the answer I've heard to that is free will that we have that in death, like we have it in life. And if we choose not to go for whatever reason, they can't make us. But I, I was like, so is that it? Like they, they just, you know, you're just left here. You make one choice and then that's it. You miss the boat. And from the answer to that is I think there's checking in loved ones. Um, guides are like, are you ready? Nope, not ready. And I kind of wonder if the longer you stay earthbound, the more set you get here and the more, the harder it is to think about going and like, maybe you get really detached from that part of that soul part of you that knows, because we all, I feel like know innately what happens, you know, when we, when we die, we know that there's something else and we just, the human part can't, can't remember but I, I guess I just assume that when you lose that human ego part that you remember, and then why wouldn't you just cross in if you re- cross on over, if you know that it's going to be fine, that there's, and I'll get to why I say that here in a minute, but so I don't know, there, I still have questions about that, like, and there's just varying reports, I guess, on all of it. Um, and, and some people say that you don't stay around at all and you just go. So that might also be a choice. You might just off you go to the light and you don't care anything about what's happening here at all. You don't say for your funeral. You don't say to watch your loved ones figure out your stuff. Like you're just out of here. So I don't know. Um, And maybe it just depends on the soul. So, and it also, I just wonder. Yeah. So everybody just maybe has a different experience and that these are the most common. I don't know. And like I said, and I, and I am not a medium, so I am not going to get that information um, so that I, from others who have crossed um, that I know of anyway, and I won't know till it happens to me. So anyway, I do know that when I have done past life regression, after you finish that life, you do watch the death scene and it's, it's never the ones that I have seen. It's, it's not traumatic. It's more, you're prompted to like. Um, okay, we're going to move through the death scene when you're up and out of your, and then when you're up and out of your body, let me know. And so it's like, okay, I'm out. And then it is, it's like, you can just kind of see in your mind's eye, the room around you and like make an observation, like, 
what are your thoughts about this life as you have left this body? And then you answer to that. So, I mean, that's the closest thing that I've experienced and it seems fairly untraumatic, but of course I'm only given things that are not going to traumatize me in a regression. You're never shown anything that's going to be violent or upsetting if you can't handle it. Like they're not, they don't let you see that because that's not the point of it. So that's my only experience until I actually, uh, cross over this time as Angie. So, um, so what, from what multiple sources, and again, this is mediums mostly, but some near death experience people do experience this part as well. What they say is after you go through the light, you are, you see what you expect to see. So in life, if you expected to see the pearly gates and angels on harps and whatnot, and that's your vision of heaven, that's what you're going to see. If you expected to see just a beautiful mountain landscape and Jesus walking in the field with you, that's what you're going to see. I mean, I don't know how specific, but you know what I mean? Like whatever your expectation is, that's, that's what you're given because it helps ease you into the transition. Because when we first cross, even though we don't have our human body with us anymore, we carry a little bit of that ego for a little while. It has to kind of, I think, slowly melt off of us. And so we do have expectations and we do maybe still, we still might be a little bit susceptible to the, to any trauma and maybe the death was traumatic or we weren't ready to go. And so this is kind of how we are cushioned into this afterlife setting was, oh good, this is what I expected. Okay. And then we can kind of like, then we can relax enough to begin to like release those layers of the human ego until we're just kind of that, our, our soul again. Um, and once that happens and we're ready, because once we've shed all the human stuff, then we are ready. <coughs> we're ready to then get into it. And so that usually involves, from what I understand, you, you do a life review. And so religion tells us we are judged by God people who have experienced the, have done the near-death experiences or the, the people that have been channeled by the mediums, they have said it's, it's a little different than that. Their take on it is you watch your life review and you have a guide sitting with you, but they are, and, and maybe it's Jesus, you know, I don't know. They, I mean, it's, it could be whoever, whoever you want to be there or whoever is best fit to be there for you at that time. And you, you watch all the moments in your life and not only all the moments, but all the what if moments. Like if I would have done this differently, or if I would have taken, it's like a choose your own way, but like all the options. And it's really like to our human mind, it would be something that's really, really fast. But, um, to the soul, I mean, we can keep up, we can keep up with how, how quick it happens. Um, but that's what people have said that have done the, have had the near death experiences. They're like, it is just like this movie play that is so hyper fast, but like I'm comprehending all of it. And, and you just, and your guide sits there and they support you and they do not judge you and they do not say anything to you. Basically you're judging, judging yourself. 
And you're seeing it with your soul, not with that human lens. And so you're able to sit there and go through that process and you're able to, wow, I really could have done that differently. Mm, yeah, I really, that I messed up there. I, I, or wow, I look at that and look at what the difference that made it like, and kind of, there's also those pat on the back moments like, well, Hey, I figured that out this time. And so it's a mix, it's a mixed bag, but that nobody's telling you that you're terrible and awful and you've done horrible things. You have to come to that determination and, and kind of go through this judging of yourself. And what I heard somebody recently say on a podcast, and it's one of the ones that I will have in the notes, um, is that if you have, the people that have done some horrible things, they sit there for a really long time. Like it's time out and they sit there till they get it. There's not a, a free pass and nobody's telling them that it's okay and whatever. Like they have to sit there until it sinks in how awful that was. They, and there is nothing worse than just sitting there in the void and, and you know, because it's eternity, you know, however long it takes, man. Like, and you just sit there. And so I wonder if that's like where the idea of like purgatory comes. I mean, I don't really understand. I'm not Catholic, so I don't know what purgatory is, but I know it's like this state between and, and maybe it's where you're actually experiencing really horrible things. But what could, I mean, I think the idea in this situation is sitting with your own thoughts and having to figure out, you know, what coming to the realization of how much of a monster you were, you know, and having to sit there in the void with nothing for that long, maybe that is like the worst thing. Like that's, it's the worst slash best thing for you rather than all the human dreamed up things of like all the ways that we can torture ourselves. It's different with a soul. So not to like say that purgatory is this thing one way or the other. And I don't even, I'm like I said, I was not raised Catholic. I don't even really know what I'm talking about. So I should probably just stop with that there. But anyway, um, that's, that's kind of the general consensus like I said, with people who have talked to people who have crossed or they have um, had the experience themselves in a near-death experience. And man, near-death experiences are fascinating to read about and to listen to. I will have some of those in the show notes. There's going to be a lot of information in the show notes on this one because it's really, I mean, I've talked for a really long time today and there is so much out there on this. I think, you know, taking taking it kind of into your own hands and exploring this topic on your own and what feels good to you is at at what depth you want to go is that I think is the most powerful thing to be done. Um, I mean, I can, I can talk here for five hours and, and I, I think that that would not be as beneficial as trying to get this wound up here right now and letting, you know, giving some resources that I have found helpful. Most of these are either books or episodes I have listened to. Uh, there may be a few in there who I've only had really highly they have come really highly recommended. So I would never put anything on there that I'd never heard of before, or I I really try to stick with stuff that I've read or listened to myself. But sometimes if it's just really, really highly recommended and it's on my list and I haven't got to it yet, I will, I will share that as well. So anyway, um, yeah, to kind of wrap this up. So 
we, we do that life review. And then sometimes, I mean, it just depends on who you talk to. Like there's reference to like a council and what's coming to mind is a council of elders, but that's not what it's called. It's like, um, so like the energy of Jesus, like that kind of energy, but then there's other energies like his that would be there to kind of sit with you and, and work through maybe, um, Hey, that was really awesome. Let's, um, I think you've maybe like gone through that and we don't really need to have any lessons on that your next time around. Um, but this was a little bit rough. Are you up for taking this on the next time you incarnate or would you rather wait a little bit? We think it would be really good for you to work on this. It's kind of like you're, you go sit with the teachers, you know, during a conference and you're like, well, these are your strengths. These are still kind of some things that we need. These are your challenges. How do you want to address this? And it's, I think there's always, there's always the free will, but the council is offering guidance for you to move forward because there is time to chill and rest and just be in spirit on the other side. But then there is a time where it's time to start planning again. So I think you kind of debrief and then to be revisited when you're ready to incarnate again and take on some more lessons and soul contracts and all of those things and kind of get your, get your parents lined out and, and kind of get yourself ready to go back in into a human body again. So it's, it's fascinating the things that I've heard, but of course, you know, we don't know till we get there, but, uh, Dolores Cannon in her books talks about this. Um, and I think in Brian Weiss's books, it, they re, they talk about this process some there too. And then I have heard somebody in a regression, um, before talk about it. It's just, it is fascinating, fascinating because you can, you can do a, um, it's not a past life regression, but it's like a, what they call life between lives where you can go and see what's going on there. I have not done one of those. Um, but that is also something that people do. And I think there's things that you can read or listen to, um, about those experiences. And I think that's another place that this information is coming. But again, you know, this is all information that cannot be proved or disproved until we experience it ourselves. And then, you know, how to get that information relayed to, to humans here. I mean, that's, it's just taking our word for it yet again. So, you know, I think, I think that this is, this information is interesting and helpful to us because it, knowing kind of like, okay, this is what a lot of people say happens. It does give a comfort. I mean, just as religion offers comfort to some, this also can offer either additional comfort or a different comfort because I think, you know, you can, it can be a both and situation. You don't have to choose one or the other. You can kind of have all of this rolling around inside of you until you decide what rings the most true and only you can decide. Only you can decide what of all of this that I've shared. And if you, if you choose to get into some of the resources and listen, I just do it out of curiosity, honestly. Um, I don't know. And it's kind of helped me 
chill a little bit about my own impermanence, about the idea that I have a shelf life. I don't know when it's going to be my time to go, but when it is, I want to be able to surrender with grace in it. And that's really easy to say right now because I'm not looking my own mortality in the face. Um, I think that changes when it becomes imminent and we'll see how I react when it's my time to face with that. I just want to give myself the tools and the information and the curiosities that might help with the softening and the surrendering that has to happen when we transition. And I don't know, it also helps with like, if I've screwed up some in this lifetime, I'm, I'm going to look at that myself and be supported and move through it and then I can come and try again. And not to say that, you know, you can move through life and, and just do a bunch of horrible things and oh well. That's not it at all. I think the intention behind what we're doing, if we have good intention and we try our best but we still are screwing up. Because we do, we're humans, we're going to. We have so much going on with emotions and free will. It's inevitable. But I think learning to navigate those human emotions, learning to see challenges as a gift you know we learn more and more about that each time we're here we have we have opportunities to learn and grow as a soul and then maybe at some point we don't come back and do this human thing anymore maybe after thousands of times we figure enough stuff out where we just have a different job in the afterlife because I've heard there are jobs over there we think that when we When we cross over, we just get to go chill. But apparently there's jobs that we can do over there. But I think, you know, of of course, there are things that we choose and that we're we're designed to be really uh, good at and enjoy. So, and I will not delve into that because I will never stop talking if I don't kind of just make myself wrap this up. But anyway, like I said, I just think this topic is just, I think it's important. I think... If we can, as a society, kind of get to where we can find a way to surrender to the idea of... Because we know, we know that we're not permanent fixtures here, but to surrender to it and not fight it, to enjoy life but not cling to it, to experience and learn and grow and not be scared... You know, and not, I mean, love our human existence and all the things that it has to offer, but not be scared of shedding it. I think if we can normalize it with kids, if we can, I don't know, somehow lean into the process when it's happening to others and and mourn and grieve appropriately, whatever that means, because what's the appropriate way? I guess what I meant by that was allow ourselves to do it give ourselves the time we need, the resources we need as we are supporting people that are going through the process, talking about it in normal conversation as we can. You know, of course, if somebody does not want to talk about it and they put up a boundary to it, respecting that as well. But just as a culture, just, I don't know, leaning into it and accepting it and not Oh man, it's just like, 
not fighting it off and like being able to practice these impermanence ideas like I talked about the beginning for like ever about Uh, you know practice living life with the understanding that nothing is forever practice enjoying things in the moment and releasing them back practice the goodbyes the little goodbyes so that the big ones aren't so hard following your curiosity about what happens when we shed this human suit so that this unknown isn't so scary and like we don't we won't know for sure but finding you know following the curiosities and finding what sounds true to us to the best that we can so I'll leave you there with that today and I hope this has helped if anybody kind of has been going through some things with this you know losing someone in their life or there's someone that is um, ill and and terminal or I don't know I don't think that there's ever this is not an easy button I know I hope I hope it's offered some comfort some support I hope it hasn't come off as romanticizing death or being flippant about it I really wanted to bring reverence to it but also I want to talk about it and that's what this that's what this podcast is about is talking about the things that people aren't really comfortable talking about you know we we get real buttoned up about things and I just that's I just that's my whole I feel like it's just my whole calling my mission in life is just to let's talk about those things that nobody else wants to talk about and not to make people uncomfortable but to make people like feel better about when they wonder about it or give them you know I hope it's empowering like if I bring up a topic and people don't really haven't ever really thought about it before it's like the keys to open up their own path of discovery that's what this is all about not just with this topic but with all of it I mean I'm I'm here to be open and real and honest and and try you know not to to sugarcoat but also not to like downplay anything either you know I don't I don't want it to ever come across as that life isn't a big deal um I just think sometimes we make we make life a really big deal and we really focus on the really not as important parts so I'm trying to bring awareness to the things that maybe our soul would like us to have some awareness to so again there are a lot of resources in the show notes a lot of book recommendations authors um podcasts in general certain episodes to kind of point you in the right direction i encourage you to get curious and explore and and find your own truth so i hope you have all had a chance to get outside in nature today i hope you all are well if you would like to continue this conversation please reach out uh, via email or social media or or if i know you um, we can talk in person and yeah because you know i'm always up for conversation if i can talk this long by myself um imagine what i could do with a back and forth so anyway until next time bye for now thank you for listening today i love having you join me even though i'm technically out here just me and my dogs 
It is exciting and heartwarming to know you are out there too, listening, walking, adding in your thoughts as we go. As always, I hope everyone has had a chance to nurture themselves with a little bit of nature today. Mother Earth always has the best medicine.